This is the Arm Updates podcast featuring Mike Schiller and hosted by Justin Poulin. Tune in every month as we highlight trends, strategies, and solutions from the field to advance the healthcare supply chain. And now, Mike and Justin. Welcome back to the Arm Updates podcast with Mike Schiller. I'm Justin Poulin from Power Supply. And Mike, I think we got off to a great start in the first episode last month. And so we've got another set of great topics today. We're going to be talking about human trafficking. That one might surprise you a little bit, but we're going to tell you all about your role in healthcare supply chain. And we'll be teeing up the ARM conference just two months away and talking about shortages and offering guidance on tourniquet cuffs, all that in a packed episode. Mike, thanks so much for coming back. Great to be back. Uh, It was a lot of fun last month. Looking forward to continuing the fun this month. So, Mike, honestly, when you first brought up human trafficking, I thought to myself, an important topic, but what role does supply chain play in this, especially the healthcare supply chain? It's obviously part of the the high-level work that you're doing through the SCRC. Can you tell me about this? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, great question. You know, supply chain's role, human trafficking and the healthcare supply chain, what does that look like? Well, let's go back to 2021 when Topglove was accused or confirmed of engaging in illegal labor practices or human trafficking, forced labor. And U.S. government said, we're not buying their gloves any longer. This is at the height of the pandemic. They were the top nitrile glove manufacturer in the world. And I think this really highlighted some of the human trafficking that is unfortunately embedded in the healthcare supply chain. Now, if you think of the healthcare supply chain continuum, right, it starts at the top with raw materials acquisition. From there, it moves through the the manufacturing process of the finished goods. From finished goods, it moves to distribution. From distribution, it moves downstream to the hospital. From hospital setting, it moves to the point of consumption, where if you think about that continuum, we're on the consumption side of the supply chain continuum. So what can we do? Well, that's what really what we're focused on here at the AHA and ARM is, is what is the role of supply chain? And we've had two convenings. We, we just met last month in New York. Uh, Jones Day is a, is a strong partner of ours. They do a tremendous amount of pro bono work in the area of human trafficking. We also have partnered with HEAL. HEAL is the Health Education Advocacy and linkage around human trafficking. It is started by uh, Hani Stoklosa, who's an emergency medicine physician at Brigham Women's Hospital and a chief medical officer of HEAL. And then, of course, our own AHA Hospitals Against Violence. So we had a convening in November of last year. We had a convening in May this year. And we had about 45 folks there. And we really began to discuss what we can do in the areas of human trafficking and really begin to highlight the the elements of human trafficking that could be in our supply chains. We had representatives from the Office of Trafficking and Persons. We had representatives from the Office of Federal Procurement Policy. We had representatives from Northwell, who's doing a tremendous amount of work in the human trafficking space. ARM is a co-leader of the Due Diligence Task Group, which is a task group of the Joint Forced Labor Work Group, a public-private partnership. And we're out there looking for templates, codes of conduct, 
contractual language or policies and procedures that healthcare organizations are adopting around human trafficking, right? Where there's language that states as a, as a, as a supplier, you're not engaged in any human trafficking activities or none of your subcontractors or sub subcontractors are engaged in human trafficking. Some of the things though that we talked about, Justin, are how do you audit? Yeah, this? it was the first thing that was right. coming to mind was how are you going to audit right. that, especially with the subcontractor relationships? Right, right. So we put it in the contract, but what if what if somebody comes back and says, "All right, prove to me you're you're auditing this," right? So how do we do that? So we're relying on our GPOs, we're relying on the manufacturers to do that. But but we also discussed some of the open seats around the table and some of those could be NGAs or other on the street type organizations in these countries, right? In these foreign countries who could be the eyes and ears and and share information. There's a lot of existing resources right now that are out there and available. And one of the things that we're doing as a part of this task group, again, under the Joint Force Labor Work Group, is to develop a landing page for these resources. So that's something that ARM is going to be taking on, and we hope to have that launched by the end of July to, again, just bring people to the landing page. Here's existing resources for you to explore, to learn more about human trafficking, and then, again, how how we can at the supply chain or the consumption side really be an active participant in prohibiting or eliminating this practice. Yeah, what a great foundation for that work. I can almost see something in the future where we add some reporting mechanisms and then there's a process for using those localized and regional resources to verify whether there's any validity to the report or not and building an infrastructure like that. That's really, really important work. And I'm glad you were able to tie it back to supply chain. Starts with the contracting. And then where do we go from there in terms of auditing and really putting something into practice? You mentioned having that ready by the end of July. I'm going to say just in time for the ARM conference, which is our next topic, just what's going on at ARM. This is the biggest thing, I think, going on in terms of engaging members and what to be on the lookout for coming up and how to get involved. You and I are both obviously going to be there. This podcast is going to go out just about a month before the annual conference. I'm excited. I'm going to be doing a lot of podcasting while I'm there, but tell us a little bit more about now that it's coming down to the wire, so to speak, what should people be doing or on the lookout for heading into the conference? Well, we're really excited about the conference. It's a great location. It's Orlando in August. Great family location for the weekend proceeding. Certainly when the conference wraps up on Wednesday, August 9th at noon, you've got the rest of that day through the weekend to enjoy the activities that are in the Orlando area. We're thrilled to be bringing a lot of strong ESG and professional development and workforce sessions to our members and to the conference attendees. We've got a number of different sessions that are planned. We're going to be talking about sustainability. We're going to be talking about human trafficking. In fact, Wednesday's general session, uh, I'll be moderating a panel discussion on human trafficking. We'll have representatives from Northwell, a representative from the Office of Trafficking and Persons, as well as a representative from Jones Day. In-person collaboration. I guess to me, in addition to the content, right, what you're going to walk away with, right? Lessons learned, ideas, application in your own organization, your clinical and supply chain workflows, all of those benefits, right, we know about. 
But really, I think with things opening up this year, it's it's the in-person collaboration, that in-person networking. I can tell you, I've had the opportunity to get out and travel a bit more this year than I have the last three years, a number of different conferences. It's great to see people uh, again in person, right? In fact, uh, one, of, one, of the, one of the interesting things, you, I've worked with people these last three years that I'm finally meeting for the first time <laughs> today, right? And, and I got to sit there and I'm like, okay, you look familiar. Wait a minute. And I, you know, make a little square with my my fingers, my thumb and index finger, like the, like a screen. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Now I know who you are. Uh, so I think the in-person networking is really, you just, you can't beat that. And that's really uh, going to be another strong benefit to attending the ARM conference. I find that when I'm seeing people at these events now, I can't remember if we've met or not because it had really been a good solid three years since I had seen some people. And I know so many people from Zoom meetings and their profile on LinkedIn or Facebook. And it's almost like, wait, have we met? I mean, I know you, but have we ever met in person? It is kind of an experience. And I will echo what you said about the networking. Our days are packed from one virtual meeting to another, stacked on top of each other. It's hard enough to find time to do just that focus work uninterrupted and really get those projects done. It's a whole other thing to step away from the job and really have the space to do that higher level thinking, the the creativity. That's what happens when you get a chance to sit down and network and also be inspired by the conversations and topics that are being discussed in the presentations, in those panel discussions. That really usually vaults a lot of constructive conversation out in the hallways, in between the presentations. It, you're absolutely right. It's 100% invaluable. I'm looking forward to it as well, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I just think that that networking is invaluable because our schedules are like stacked on top of one another. It's hard enough to find time to work on projects and just have that focus time. It's a whole other thing to step away and really start to utilize that high-level executive functioning and creativity. And I think that's really what you get when you can sort of in between, like when the presentations and the panel discussions happen, it spawns a lot of conversation. And then that's happening out in the hallways and in between those presentations. And that is really invaluable to me. You're right. You know, if you think about it, all of these virtual meetings, they're so scripted, right? They're agenda driven. And right now, you know, at the expense of being strategic, we're still really very operationally focused, right? We're still dealing with shortages. We're still dealing with uh, pharmaceutical shortages now in the media, right? So I think it's those organic conversations that can come about from a session that you attended with a colleague or colleagues, or those organic conversations that can pop up over lunch. Hey, I'm struggling with this here. I'm, I'm having a challenge here. How are you handling it? To me, those are those are the invaluable conversations that come about when you're at a conference. That's, that's the value of the in-person meeting. Yeah, I mean, sharing some of that creativity, and it does require a lot of creativity these days. It just gives people ideas. You might not do things the same way as another organization, but there's something in how they tackled a problem that you can bring forward and just either improve your processes or tweak it a little bit or bring a solution forward. You also were just talking about shortages, which brings us to our final topic. And this is my favorite on the fringe. And this is all about 
you know, making sure that we don't get blindsided by something that may not be taking 80% of our time in terms of our operational demands and strategy. But at the same time, today's topic is going to be tourniquet costs, definitely shortages, and going to be talking about some guidance that came out. So in case people weren't paying attention to the emails coming out from Arm recently that were sharing some updates on this, what does everybody need to know? Yeah, you know, we've been struggling with tourniquet cuff, blood pressure cuff shortages really since October of last year is when when they first came to our attention through the Supply Chain Resource Council. Throughout the course of the last eight months, we've been bringing this up, looking for some guidance because the challenge with these cuffs even though they're non-sterile, Justin, the cuffs have to go back to the manufacturer to be reprocessed, right? Sterilized and packaged and then sent back into the hospital setting. So you've got, you've got raw material shortages, right? And you've got increased demand. So those two factors are really what's putting a constraint on the availability of these cuffs. And so as of yesterday, the FDA released some guidance around conservation strategies, using alternative devices and reusing existing devices when appropriate, they provide a guidance around sterilization or disinfection procedures, how to disinfect these cuffs so that hospitals who still find themselves in a shortage situation can go ahead and take some of these measures internally. Uh, I can tell you that, you know, as a result, a lot of hospitals have gotten very creative over the course of the last eight months, some have pivoted to other manufacturers. Some have moved from that single-use cuff to a reusable cuff, right? So as, as I like to say, supply chain professionals, by their very nature, are resilient, right? We're resilient. We're resourceful. And so working with our clinical partners, right, we've come up with, with solutions. It's really nice to see the FDA come out and actually provide some concrete guidance for the field. So I was excited when I came in this morning, opened up the inbox, and there was the notice from the FDA and immediately worked with our marketing team to get this out to our members, shared it with my policy team in DC. We're sharing it with AHA members. And then, of course, I sent out an email to our Supply Chain Resource Council members. So we're really trying to blank the field with this good news and this guidance from the FDA. Yeah, well, I think it's the advocacy that ARM's really bringing to the table, especially with the SCRC or the Supply Chain Resource Council. You're going to be hearing that on every single podcast, so get used to the acronym if you're not already, SCRC, Supply Chain Resource Council. But I just think advocating, everybody is so busy out there tackling some of these you know, bigger projects that are really happening at a national level, uh, attempting to get guidance as quickly as possible out there to everybody who's dealing with it on a day-to-day today is is really excellent and you know mike another great episode of the arm updates podcast in the books we're going to be back again in one month and at that point we'll be about four weeks out to the arm conference we definitely hope we're going to see you there and mike thanks again for joining me justin a pleasure always a pleasure my friend thanks for your time and look forward to meeting with you next month Thank you for listening to this episode of the ARM Updates Podcast. For additional resources, visit our website at arm.org. That's A-H-R-M-M.org. Tune in next month for another edition of the ARM Updates Podcast.